Well, it's so good to get to be here with you today. Uh, bring greetings on behalf of our church, Sozo Church. I was actually, I, I thought service, this service started at 1130. So I was in the back. I was watching our service online. I'm like, amen, and the preacher down. And then I hear worship. So I'm like, oh, my God, I got to get in there for church, you know. Um, but it is good to get to be here. I do bring greetings uh, from our church family uh, all the way to yours. And uh, I just got to tell you, it is an honor to be here, to serve, and to share the word with you. And we're going to jump into that in a moment. Um, but first, I would be remiss if I did not uh, take a moment to honor your senior pastors. How many of you, you love your pastors? You love Pastor Tyler and Rachel? Come on. I think, I think it's, you know, I think it's powerful that we, that we keep that spirit of honor. And that's why I always take a moment. I'm not like some traveling guy, world-renowned speaker. Well, that was crazy. But uh, traveling guy that rolls in and just, you know, sometimes when guest speakers show up somewhere, they kind of have a can thing that they say about uh, the host pastors. Uh, and, and that's always been weird to me, but I'm, I'm just going to keep it, keep it real with you. Okay, I'm going to be candid. Is that I know your pastors, and I love your pastors. They are unbelievable leaders. I mean, the leadership culture that's being built here, the spirit of this house is unbelievable. Uh, they're some of the most generous people I've ever been around. And I, I love the joy of the Lord that is on Tyler's life. He is always smiling. If I ever feel down, I just, I'm like, I FaceTime Tyler. Tyler, just look at me. I like, okay, I feel, I feel like I got joy back. I, he's just always smiling and always encouraging. And I'm grateful for friends like that. Um, and to be able to serve the Bay Area together with this church, this is a partner church of ours. I told Tyler uh, yesterday, I said, could I say that y'all are like our sister church? He was like, can we just be twins? And I was like, okay, yeah, okay. So we're like twin churches. And, uh, but we, we do. We do consider it an honor to get to, to serve alongside your pastors. Uh, but just to show a little, oh, I'll tell you what, one more thing really quick. This guy right here, Matt Laborde, uh, he's one of my best friends, dearest friends. We've known each other for, I don't know, probably 20 years. And uh, he actually grew up and uh, he was a part of our youth ministry years ago and he turned out okay. So there you go, you know, but, um, but he's actually, he's, he's on staff at an organization called ARC Association of Related Churches, which your church is a part of ARC. Our church is a part of, uh, of ARC. It's a church planning organization. They've planted over 800 plus churches in North America and even more around the world. And, uh, and, and basically, man, they just come alongside church planners, a couple that has a dream in their heart to plant a life-giving ch church, and they help them really create a, uh, an, a resource-rich environment for them to be successful in what God's called them to do. And uh, he was living in Chelsea, Chelsea, Alabama. Can anything good come out of Chelsea? Um, and uh, responded... Uh, to the call to come here and to help pioneer our church with us, him and his wife, Allie. And they moved from a very comfortable life in Chelsea, Alabama, and they live in a tiny apartment in San Francisco now, right? <laughs> but helping us plant a church uh, to bring hope and healing to the people of San Francisco. And so just wanted to honor you for a moment there. Could we clap our hands for Matt as well? Thank you so much for being here with me, Matt. And, uh, you know, some, some people are like, man, you guys clap your hands and honor people a lot here. I just think this, honor empowers, dishonor disables. And Jesus, even the Son of God, Jesus, it says that he would go to one town and they would receive him readily. They'd have faith and expectancy and he could do miracles. But he went to his hometown where they were familiar with him and they, they failed to honor him. And the Bible says he could not do many miracles there. Why? Because honor empowers, dishonor disables. I pray that you'd always, Mission Church, you'd always have a culture of honor where you celebrate the people that are, that are men sacrificing to serve you and to see you reach your full potential. And I pray you'd always have that. Uh, if you have your Bibles, why don't you go with me over to First Samuel chapter number 14. And uh, before we put that on the screen, if you don't have a Bible, you can pick one of those up, I think, out in the lobby area after, after church today. But if you don't have your Bible, we're going to put on the screen in just a moment and read a few scriptures together, and I'll tell you what I'm going to talk about. But before we do that, I want to show you... Uh, 
show you the pictures of my family to give a little street cred here. Okay, here you go, right here. This is my wife, Jennifer. We started dating like 20-something years ago and been married uh, May 21st, made 14 years. We've been married uh, now. We met at a little high school, and uh, I was Christian by name, but not by nature. You know what I'm saying? It was like one of those schools, like no one was really Christians, but they just had the name on the front of the sign. Uh, so we've been married now for 14 years, and uh, she couldn't keep her hands off of me, so we had these two kids here. I'm kidding, guys, come on. Um, but seriously, uh, and that youngest guy there, his name is Nixon. He's six years old. And uh, my mom says this. She says, Jason, she goes, I tell you what Nixon is. Nixon is the Lord's way of letting you reap all that you sowed when you were a kid. Because he's wild, people. I mean, he is just crazy. He's just wild. He's one of the funniest guys. He loves to dance. Uh, he, he's kind of into country music right now, which is really weird, you know. But anyway, he's, he's, he's our crazy one. The, uh, the oldest one right there, Liam, he's nine years old. And uh, he's like our little, he's the saint in the family, right? He, every time I travel to preach or to, you know, to go do ministry, he like, dad, come here, come here. He lays hands on me, like prays for me. He's like, God, I pray you use my dad. And uh, now we're still praying for Nixon's salvation, but, <clears throat> but Liam, he's, he's doing pretty good. And then we have a recent addition right here. This is little Novi Sophia, Novi Sophia. Her name Novi is short for Noe Valley, which is where we, we planted the church. And we, we said, God, we're going we're gonna, to um, honor you, push pause on trying to have a little girl. Uh, this was years ago. And we're going to honor you by starting this church in San Francisco in Noe Valley. And we believe that if we'll honor you, that God, you'll honor us. And uh, after the church was running for a year, we're a little over a year and a half old. Um, we just said, hey, by faith, uh, we believe that God's going to give us a little girl. And how I many know faith without works is dead? So we did our part, and we trusted God to do his part. And uh, some of you are like, do I laugh? Do I clap? Like, what do I do? Do I amen him there? Like, <laughs> Um, but we, we had this little girl. So Novi is really, it's a tip of the hat to God saying, God, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you, God, that you always honor your word. And, uh, and so this is a little Novi Sophia. So that's my family. And then we have a miniature schnauzer. His name is Felipe Martinez. He's 14 years old. I think he's getting close to going and visiting Jesus, but, um, he's getting close to the end. First Samuel chapter 14. I'm going to read these verses of scripture to you today, and then we'll have a discussion around this one topic. It's faith. I want to talk about faith today. And really, I just have this one assignment. I just came here today to encourage your faith. Um, I, I pray that Mission Church would always be a church filled with faith because God has amazing vision that he's given your pastors, amazing vision that he's given the leadership team here. And I believe for you to accomplish all that God's uh, called you to accomplish as a church and as individuals, it's going to take faith. And you're going to have to trust God and believe God. But God's going to, he's going to blow your mind what he's going to do through your church and through your life. And so today I just came with that one assignment. I want to stir up your faith a little bit today. And maybe even personally, at a personal level, maybe there's some things you've been believing God for, but you just haven't seen come to fruition yet. My, my, uh, my hope is that by the end of this service, that you'll leave challenged and changed, filled with faith to do, to do and to be all that God's called you to do and be. Amen, church? Here we go right here. First Samuel chapter number 14, it says, One day, Jonathan, son of Saul, said to his young armor bearer, we don't know the armor bearer's name, um, but it says, uh, it says, One day, Jonathan said to, uh, son of Saul said to his young armor bearer, Come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. It says, Saul, his father, was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree in Migron. It says, with him were about 600 men. Verse 3. It says, with him were about 600 men, among whom was... Guys, I can't pronounce some of these words here. I'm originally from Louisiana. We're like last on the line for everything, including education. So bear with me here. Uh, it says, among whom was Ahiah, uh, uh, who was wearing an ephod. And it says, uh, he was son of Ichabod's brother, a hot tub. 
son of Phineas. You just got to roll with it sometimes. You ever, you ever had those moments where you're, you're asked to read the Bible in front of people, at like a Bible study, and you get to one of those names, and you're like, I can't do it. I can't. And you just bubblegum, bubblegum. You just kind of plow through it. That's what we're going to do. And he says, um, he says, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest of Shiloh, in Shiloh, no one was aware that Jonathan had left. On each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. One was called Bozes and the other Sinai. One cliff stood to the north toward Michmash, the other to the south toward Geba. Verse 6 and 7, and we'll conclude. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, Come, let's go over to the outpost of those pagan men. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Do all that you have in mind, his armor bearer said. Go ahead, for I am with you, heart and soul. I love this. I want to speak to you a message today on the topic of faith, but simply entitled, Perhaps the Lord. Perhaps, if you're taking notes, write that down. Perhaps the Lord. And, and you just need to know that when you get to heaven, they're going to check your, your church notes, and that will determine what house you get. So make sure that you, guys, work with me here. This, 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 we're going to have fun today, okay? We're going to have fun, and we're going to learn, and the Holy Spirit's going to speak to our hearts. And I'm believing that by the end of our, our moments together, that those three words would literally be lodged in your spirit and in your heart, and that they would carry you. Um, for this upcoming week and the months to come and years to come, hopefully the rest of your life, that you would be a person, that you would, you would hear those three words, perhaps the Lord. You'd be a person of faith. So let's pray together. Father, we love you. And uh, God, I thank you that we have these moments together like this where we're able to look into your word and we're able to open our hearts and mind and we're able to lean in and say, speak to us, Holy Spirit. And so right now that's what we're, we're doing. And just like in Mark 4, when Jesus said there's four different types of soil representing the four different types of hearts, um, that one is hard and uh, maybe one is, is callous, one is crowded, one is distracted, and some are, are consumed with other things that are vying for their attention. But there are some that are good soil, good hearts that can receive your word and can produce a harvest, 30, 60, and 100 fold. I pray that this space and this moment would be good soil. And that your word, as it's coming forth and as it's being planted in our hearts, I pray that it would produce a harvest in our lives beyond our wildest dreams. We love you so much. We thank you that there are no great preachers, only the great gospel of Jesus Christ. We honor you in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. If you receive that, why don't you clap your hands? Come on. Yeah. Um, by, by a show of hands, uh, can, 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 I just, can I just see, I did this in the last service, and I'm just, I, I wanna, I'm, I'm kind of wanting to know what I'm working with here. How many of you in here, uh, by a show of hands, you'd say you're a risk taker? Like naturally, like you like taking risk, okay? How many of you, okay, we got a few of you in here, okay? That's more than even the last service. How many of you in here, you say, I am risk averse, like I do not like risk, I do not like dangerous things? How many of you raise your hand? Look, some of you, there's some of you, you didn't even raise your hand because you're so risk averse. You're like, if I raise my hand, what is he going to do? We don't know what this guy's going to do, right? Um, you know, as, as I thought about that for my own life, when I was younger, I'm 37 now, when I was in my teens, I remember I, I love doing crazy things. I love, people could dare me to do stuff. I love taking risks. I love jumping off of things, writing things way too fast. Like, I, that's how I, I lived my life when I was a kid. One time I was dared to jump off of a three-story house onto a trampoline into a pool, and I did it because I love risk. Now, as I'm older, what I've discovered is um, 
I've become what my kids call, at least my nine-year-old calls, I've become uh, a little domesticated. Like, I don't like to take risks. The riskiest thing I've probably done lately is continue texting on the plane whenever they tell you to stop texting. Like, I don't take, I don't do risky, dangerous, crazy things. Like, uh, when I was younger, I would push all the chips in the middle of the table. I would do anything you dared me to do. Now, as I've, I've gotten a little bit older and wiser or domesticated, now I have more to lose, and so it's harder to push all the chips in the middle of the table. I mean, think about it. When you get older and you, you know, you, you've accumulated more and you have, maybe you have a little bit of money in your savings account and you got a good discipline disability policy or a good insurance policy and you got 3.5 kids and a picket fence and a mini schnauzer like and even considered a minivan like when you get to that place in life and you have more it's harder to push all the chips in the middle of the table I think that that's true not only naturally but spiritually I think it's a great picture of what can happen spiritually when you're young in the faith you just give your life to Jesus you just start following God man have you ever noticed that when you first when you meet those people that just give their life to Jesus they're just excited they're so thankful, and they will do anything God tells them. They'll serve. Man, they'll, they'll pray for somebody to be healed. They'll try to go on mission trips. They, I mean, they will do anything, but it's so interesting. I've been in, this, I've been in the game for a little while. I grew up in church, okay? I, I've been around church people my whole life. What's interesting, it's so easy. As we get older in the faith, it's easy to become domesticated. It's easy to get to the place where we're just playing it safe and we don't take risk anymore. And we just kind of, you know, we go to church and we're faithful attenders going to church and we can, you know, give our tithe and maybe even serve every once in a while and we can live a good moral life. It's easy to get to the place where our life becomes predictable and domesticated and we no longer live our life doing things that demand faith. That is easy to get in that place. That's not this church. Now that's the other church down the street, not this church. But it is so easy as Christians, let's be candid, like let's be honest. It's so easy to get to that place where now you just do cute little quiet times and you know you, you, you do churchy things and you live a moral life and your life looks like it's put together and buttoned up and yet there's nothing in your life or my life at times that resembles what we read in scripture. These people, man, living lives of faith that would step out and do things for God. It, it, it's so easy to get to that place. But may I submit to you today that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he did not come down on this earth, live for 33 years, and die a shameful death in our place so that we would live a tame, domesticated life. He gave his life for us so that we'd live a life of faith, that we would step out and believe God, and we'd trust him at his word, and we would attempt things and try things in our life that would bring honor and glory to his name. See, that's what this story is in 1 Samuel 14. It's an amazing case study of, I believe, these two guys that just demonstrate such a spirit of faith and on the other side of this spirit of faith, we see God do something so powerful that was talked about for generations to come, even till today. Here's what the context of the, of the passage is. In 1 Samuel chapter 14, we get this great picture of this story that happens if you continue to read on what you should in your own time. Read on. It's a beautiful story, and it will be very inspiring to you. But chapter 13 gives great context to this, uh, this, this, this passage in chapter 14. The story is like this. There is these two military forces that have constantly been at enmity with each other. It's the children of Israel, the Israeli army, which Jonathan and Saul and the armor bearer, that's what the army that they're in, against the Philistines. The Philistines, there's a description in chapter 13, I believe, about the Philistines. They were very powerful. They were very resourced. They had highly, um, high, you know, highly equipped military men. They were trained. They were skilled at war and battle. 
And the Bible says that there were so many people in the Philistine military that it outnumbered the sand on the, sea, on the seashore, which means there, there was so many people, you can't even count them. Massive army. Contrasted with the children of Israel, they, they only have 600 people in their military, right? 600 people, so they're outnumbered. 600 people. They only have two swords. King Saul has a sword, and Prince Jonathan has a sword. The rest of the 600 men, they literally they have farming utensils as their weapons, like rakes and shovel. This is like a military of rednecks, okay? This is like, that's what this is. Make no mistake about it. This, this military is outnumbered. They're out-resourced. The cards are stacked against them. The odds are against them. This is a very terrible situation. It was so bad, so much fear gripped the hearts of the military there in Israel. The Bible says that many of their men, they left their military and they joined forces with the Philistines to fight against their own brothers. Many of them, so much fear gripped their heart, they went into caves in the mountains and they were hiding. They were cowards and they, they, they left their men to deal with the enemy by themselves. This is the setup. It's fear has gripped this place. And so you lean in and you look, so what does Saul do? The commander in chief, the leader of the army, the king, what does he do? What is his strategy? Knowing that the enemy is coming in and is gonna to try to wipe the people of God off the face of the earth, what does the king do? The person responsible to do something about this? The Bible says that he takes his sword and he takes his 600 men, he goes to Migron underneath the pomegranate tree and he goes to sleep. What a picture of many Christians today in the culture that we live in, even though the enemy is trying to pillage um, what God is doing and, and destroy the purposes of God in a generation and destroy the, the next generation, even though that's happening all around us, many Christians are asleep under a pomegranate tree doing nothing about it. I don't want to be a person like that. It's so interesting. Saul, he has fought many battles for God before. In his history, he has seen the hand of God and the power of God do amazing things. And yet, for some reason, he is content to be comfortable under a pomegranate tree and do nothing while the enemy is going to destroy the people of God. I never want to be like that. May, may our prayers be that our churches never look like that, underneath the pomegranate tree doing nothing while the enemy is having its way with our communities. Contrasted with Jonathan. Now, use your exegetical imagination with me and go with me into this story. Let's parachute into it. Imagine this. Saul is over here under a pomegranate tree, snoozing in safety with his sword, contrasted with his son Jonathan, the next generation. He's over here, and he's, he's laying here on the ground, and his armor bearer is next to him, but he cannot sleep at the thought of the enemy destroying the people of God. He's disturbed. How many know that God, he loves to comfort the disturbed, but he loves to disturb the comfortable? He's disturbed in this moment. May we be a disturbed church, disturbed to the place that we've got to do something about the poor in our communities, the homeless in San Francisco. May we be a church that's disturbed by the brokenness of humanity. May we be a church, mission church, that is broken by the thought of someone dying and spending eternity separated from God. May we be disturbed to the point that we do something about it. Jonathan, he wakes up his armor bearer. I imagine it went something like this. Jonathan has his sword and he says, armor bearer, come on, wake up, wake up. We don't know his name. Wake up, wake up and grab your rake. Let's just pretend he has a rake. Grab your rake. Let's go. I got an idea. They, they dart off to the bottom of this cliff. They don't tell King Saul. They don't tell the other men that are sleeping uh, while this fight is about to go down, but they break away and Jonathan looks at his armor bearer. And this is what he says to him. He looks at him and he says, hey man, I have an idea. There's 20 men up there on top of that ridge. There's 20 Philistines up there, these pagan men. They're, they're the enemies of God. There's 20 of them. There's only two of us. They have all these swords and weapons, and it's, it's, it's going to be a challenge. But, but I know I have my sword, and you have your wake. Let's show ourselves to them, and if they call us up there, we're just going to take it as a sign from God that God is with us. 
And if they call us up there, we're going to roll up there and we're going to take them out. And perhaps the Lord will show up. This is a ridiculous plan. This is the most audacious, I mean, Jonathan, are you out of your mind? If I'm that armor bearer, this is when I start asking some questions. I'm like, Jonathan, let's talk about this for a moment, okay? You're telling me there's 20 men up there, there's two of us, they have 20 weapons, we have one weapon, and you're saying that the whole plan is just show ourselves to them. If they call us up, we're going to move on a maybe. Like, maybe God will show up too. Like, we're just going to step out and do this. And, and Jonathan, I just imagine Jonathan's like, yeah, man, let's just move on a maybe. Let's go on a perhaps the Lord. If I'm this armor bearer, I'm like, wait, did you get a prophetic word, Jonathan? Like, did you know for sure we're going to win? Like, did you see a burning bush? Because God gave Moses a burning bush. Like, did you see a burning bush? Or was it bad hummus that you ate? Like, what happened here? Like, we're going we're gonna to go. This is a crazy plan. That's what I would be saying if I was this armor bearer. But this armor bearer, he looks at Jonathan and he says, okay, I am with you, heart and soul. I'm going to follow your lead. This is unbelievable. And the reason he says it, the reason he says that in verse 7 is you have to look at the, the, the verse before that. What he says is this. Jonathan says to the armor bearer, for God, so the focus is on God. He says, for God can save whether or not if he has many or few. It's a faith declaration. He's saying, God, I've seen it before. God can save his people. He's done it before. It doesn't matter if they're outnumbered. It doesn't matter if they don't have enough resources. It doesn't matter if they don't have enough people. It does not matter. God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. God is all-sufficient. He's all-knowing. He has everything that we need. All he needs is our faith to trust and believe. And we're going to move out on a maybe and go with it, perhaps the Lord. And when he makes that statement, his faith, it affects that armor bearer. And that armor bearer says, Jonathan, that is faith that I can follow. I wonder in this place today, husbands, dads, do you have faith that your family can follow? Moms, do you have faith that your children, when they see your life of faith, it inspires them? I was with a, I was with a, a lady, she came down here at the last service, she said, um, I, I struggled through cancer. And you see that man, that's my son. My son came to me. After all my years of being a woman of faith, believing God for him, I was struggling, and he came by my bedside, and he prayed and declared faith over me. I have a legacy of faith. She has a legacy of faith because she first lived faith, and her son could follow in her footsteps. I wonder, do you have faith that your family can follow? If you're in business, I wonder, do the people at your work, do they know about your faith, or have you privatized your faith? Oh, hey. Have you privatized it? Are you, are you living as a closet Christian in your workplace? Or do you have faith in a, in a God that is real? in a God that is powerful, in a God that can provide, in a God that can protect, in a God that has blessed your business? Do you have faith that is on display for the people that you work with? I wonder, will we be a church? Will, are you like how I say we? Like, this, like I go to church here. Like I'm just owning it today. This is my church family here. I may quit my church and come and join you guys, okay? Can I come? Can I come and hang out? Okay, cool. Okay, you're like, sure, come on. <clears throat> I wonder though, do you have faith that your kids can follow, that your friends can follow? Because write this down, write this down. Here's the principle. Your faith affects your friends and your friends affect your faith. I think this is one of the principles that we get from this story on the front end here. At the outset is you see that Jonathan's faith affects his friend and later we'll see how their faith affected the entire military. But your faith affects your friends and your friends affect your faith. Uh, let me illustrate it this way. Um, I, 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 I kind of went public with going to plant a church. Like We're going to plant this church. And I started telling my friends about it and sold my house, quit my job, the whole thing, and like moving forward. And I was at a pastor's conference, about 1,200 pastors. And I was sitting on the fourth row, and the pastors began to come in before the service started. And um, 
this guy walks in, and he, I haven't seen him in a while. He's a friend of mine. And he goes, man, I heard you guys are planning a church. Tell me a little bit about it. So we start talking about it. And he's just like, man, you guys are going to do great. God is going to use you to make a difference. People are going to get saved. Marriages are going to get restored. It's going to be unbelievable. And he's just, man, he's just encouraging. And then he asked this question. So where are you guys planning this church? And I said, man, we, we, really, we really feel and sense that the Lord's called us to San Francisco. I kid you not. This guy goes, no, don't do it. Oh, God. No, oh, church graveyard. Oh, preacher's nightmare. It'll never work. I mean, I'm like, oh my God, with friends like this, who needs enemies, right? It's like, dear God. I mean, he, just the level of doubt and negativity, it, it literally felt like the faith in my spirit was sucked out of my body. And I slid down in that chair, worship started, and I didn't even have strength to stand. Discouraged filled with doubt, overwhelmed with fear and anxiety. And I just begin to just, I just begin to cry out to God and say, God, what have I done? God, I just begin to just process my doubt. And I literally did this. This is so pathetic. This was, I'm not a prophetic pastor. I'm a pathetic pastor. This is what I did in that moment. Thank you. <laughs> Kidding. In that moment, I prayed the most ridiculous prayer. I said, first I said, God, if you still called us to do this, show me a sign. And I felt like God was like, really? Is that where we're at, Jason? Really? Okay. You've sold your house. You've quit your job. You've told everyone. Really? Is that where we're going to, we're going to, okay, okay. And I was like, God, I'm just, I'm struggling. You know that it's okay to bring your doubts and fears to God. Some of you in here today, God's put so much in your heart to do some things and you just, you're overwhelmed with doubt and fear. Why? Maybe because of some of the people you've placed around you. Because in this moment right here, I'm just discouraged, and it's all because of the guy sitting next to me. So I prayed this prayer. I said, God, the guest speaker that was speaking, I said, God, in the middle of his message, if you're big enough to, to build a church in one of the darkest cities in North America, one of the most churchless cities in North if you're big enough to do that, then you're big enough to give this guy a prophetic word, which simply means a word from God to encourage someone. I said, you're big enough to give him a word to encourage me. Like, who prays prayers? Like, That's just a stupid prayer, right? I was desperate. Desperate times, desperate measures. I said, God, I, my faith is struggling. I pray you give John a prophetic word for me. Do you know, I'm not even listening to the message. I'm fogged out, distracted, wheels spinning, and 10, 12 minutes into his message, I hear, did I see Jason Laird in here tonight? I look up, and I'm like, my heart's like, do-do-do-do-do-do-do. He's like, he's like, Jason, he goes, stand up on your feet. I stand up, he goes, I heard you're planning a church. Are you planning a church? I was like, yes, I'm planning a church. You know, he's like, I heard you planning a church in San Francisco. You planning a church in San Francisco? I was like, yes. 1,200 pastors, they're all looking at me. I'm like, the guy is like, you know, next to me is like shaking his head. John looks at me, he goes, Jason, he goes, you're originally from Louisiana. You could have gone back there. That would be very easy to plant a church there. A lot more, a lot more affordable too. Jason, you, you lived in Dallas, didn't you live? I lived in Dallas. Jason, you lived in Dallas. You don't even have to be anointed or called by God to plant a church in Dallas. <laughs> he literally said that. I was like, I don't know. It's, that's rough. That's rough. That's rough. He was like, but God did not call you to Louisiana. 
He did not call you to Dallas. God called you to be a light-bearing church in a, a dark city called San Francisco. God has called you there. God has stationed you there. Listen, he says, you need to go in the power of God, with the presence of God, with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and be a light-bearing church that brings hope and healing to that city. God's going to use you. I'm telling you, as he began to speak faith, my faith began to arise on the inside of me. Man, I looked at that guy sitting next to me, and I just punched him in the face. But I'm kidding. I didn't do it. But I wanted to. I wanted to be like, poof, just hit him, you know, like. Listen, here's the point. My faith was weak, and I needed the faith of somebody else. And his faith affected my faith. I live in San Francisco in the Bay Area, and we've planted a church that is doing the things that he said, but I almost aborted my mission because of a negative friend that had been faithful, but just not faith-filled. See, you'd be amazed at what you can accomplish in the kingdom of God if you would surround yourself not just with with faithful people, but with faith-filled people. Because you can have friends that have been faithfully there your whole life, but if they're not filled with faith, they're negative, they're critical, they're cynical, you start talking about what you feel like, God's maybe, I think God's called me to, man, I think God's called me to start a nonprofit, and perhaps he's going to help me do it. And your friend that's been rolling with you for a long time looks at you and says, oh, it'll never work. How are you going to do that? You don't even have the education to do that. And, and here's what I'm telling you. You need to, I pray by the Holy Spirit that you would get those people's faces in your mind, that maybe they've been running with you for a long time. It may even be family members. It may be even, even be your uncle or an aunt or whoever it may be. They've been faithful, but they've been a negative voice in your life. And every time you talk about doing something for God, man, doing something through this church or doing something for the kingdom of God or starting a business or selling a business. And when you talk about those things that are in your heart that perhaps the Lord's called you to do, it, but they're negative and they, man, they deplete your faith. I pray that by the Holy Spirit, he would show you those people and you would begin to separate yourself from them and you would surround yourself with some faith-filled people. I'm not talking about not having counsel. I'm not talking about having hype people around you, but I'm talking about having people like your pastor. There's been days when I've doubted. There's been days I've been discouraged and Tyler, man, on a golf course, he'll start speaking faith and his faith will affect my faith. And I'm in that city pastoring a church because of friends like your pastors. You better have some faith-filled people around you. Can somebody say amen? amen. Y'all, y'all up in Walnut Creek, y'all thinking, this dude's preaching like he's wild. We don't really amen. Listen, we're in San Francisco. They like to amen you when you preach. They like to shout you down. And when you do, listen, here's what happens. They, the preacher preaches better and faster, and you get to get out of there and go to lunch. What y'all laughing about? Amen. From the hungry section, amen. <laughs> your faith affects your friends. Your friends affect your faith. Make sure that you have some faith-filled people around you. Some of you, you're not in a small group, small group yet. I want to encourage you. This is a shameless plug. You need to be in a small group with some faith-filled people around you. And if you're in a small group and they're not faith-filled, tell Rachel or Tyler. They'll shut down that small group. (laughs) Find you a community. Find you a group of some relationships that will come into agreement with you and say, man, you can start that business. Man, God will use you to have a kingdom-minded business. Man, you can write that book. You can go back to school and get your degree. You need to have some people around you that man, when you start talking about, perhaps the Lord's called me to do this. Perhaps he's called me to do mission college. Perhaps he's called me to be an intern. Perhaps he's called, and they will get around you and say, man, we're going to believe with you. We're going to come into agreement with you, and we're going to mix our faith together, and we're going to watch the faithfulness of God. I want some faith-filled people around me. That's why I have people like Matt, Tyler, many, many people. I want faith-filled people around me. Here's the second thing, is they begin to step out, and they begin to climb up this mountain, and as they get to the top of this ridge, I just imagine Jonathan pouring out, pouring out that sword, and I don't know what this looked like, but just roll with me. He just starts slicing and dicing and cutting, and I'm not propagating violence, but I am propagating faith. He's just like cutting people. I don't know. Maybe the armor bearer had that rake, and he's just like raking people up in a pile. I don't know. 
I don't know how that even works. But the Bible says that that day right there, that, that armed with, with really one weapon, odds stacked against them, moving on a maybe, just perhaps the Lord's going to show up, that they take out 20 men and they take a half an acre of ground. But we get no indication that God has even involved himself with this yet. We have no, there's been no word from God. There's been no instruction from God. There's been no provision yet from God. There's been nothing powerful happening. There's been nothing. This, this is just two people that are stepping out in faith. I think a lot of time we're waiting for God to tell us to do something before we make a move. And God's up there waiting for us just to make a move. There's some things that are prompted by the spirit. There's some things that are prompted by God's word. But there's some things that are just prompted by faith. That because God's done certain things before, we just believe that he's a big God. And he's going to do it again. Like he may not tell you to pray for that person at work to receive healing. But we see healing in scripture. And the Bible says if you lay hands on the sick and you'll pray that they'll recover, they will recover. And the spirit may not prompt you to pray for them. But you just need to remember that, that you serve a God. That the Bible says he can heal people of their sickness. And so prompted by faith, you tell that person at work, I'm a person of faith. I, I, I'm not really religious, but I am spiritual. I believe that the Bible is true, and the Bible says I can pray for people to be healed. And I don't know if he'll do it, but perhaps the Lord will. What if we were a church like that? What if you were a Christian like that? Where you would stop waiting, or I would stop waiting on God to, to necessarily tell us to do this, do this, do this, and us get all the answers first. What if we just started moving out on a maybe and a perhaps the Lord? Perhaps God's called me to do this. That's what we, we actually planted this church on a maybe, on a perhaps the Lord. If it doesn't work, it's on God, not on us. Like we're going to do our very best and believe him and perhaps the Lord. And I can tell you this, there were hundreds of people that gathered today lifting up the name of Jesus, all because a couple of people were crazy enough to believe that maybe, perhaps, the Lord can do something in a city like San Francisco. This church was planted on a maybe. This mission church was planted on a perhaps the Lord. I wonder, I wonder, let me ask you this question. I wonder in here today, I wonder in here today, how many of you, how many of you have things in your life that if God does not show up, you're believing by faith. And if God doesn't show up, you, you will just, you, you, you will look foolish. Like, like you're stepping out. There's a venture in your life where you're stepping out and believing God. Here's what I believe. Hebrews 11 says that without faith it's impossible to please God. The converse is true as well. With faith, we can position ourselves to live a life that pleases and honors heaven. Now, here's the thing. When you read this text, go on and read the story. They take out 20 men, half acre ground, all in their own natural abilities and the resources that they do have. They weren't waiting for what they wanted. They worked what they had. And in their own strength, in their own resource, moving out in faith, they do that much. And then the Bible says God shows up. God doesn't show up on the front end, give them all the strategy and all the resources and tell them, hey, this is for sure going to work. Now, that would be easy to have faith. That's not what happened. They moved out in faith, and then their faith moved God. The Bible says that after they take a half acre of ground and slay 20 men, that God in his power, he begins to cause an earthquake. And the ground begins to shake. And all those cowards that were hiding in the hills, they wake up. And the 600 men and the king that were asleep, they wake up. You know, on the other side of your faith is someone else's awakening. I, I wonder if th this church could be a church of faith with such faith in how big God is that it would wake up Walnut Creek and the surrounding areas. Man, they wake up, they join in on the fight, and the Bible says this, that, 
that on that day, verse 23, that the Lord saved all of Israel. That earthquake caused chaos in the enemy's camp and the Philistines began to kill each other. Listen, your faith will cause chaos spiritually for the powers that try to rule this area. Spiritual authorities and powers that try to control Walnut Creek and the spiritual climate. Listen, if you start stepping out in faith, this church lives a life of faith, it will cause chaos in the enemy's camp. That's what happens with your faith. They go on and the Bible says that it starts this earthquake. And on that day, the Lord saved Israel. But let me ask you this question and I'll conclude and the band can come up. What do you do when what you've had faith for does not come to fruition? What do you do when you've been praying the prayer of faith to be healed of the diagnosis that you were given, but you see no answer to your prayer? In other words, what happens when the outcome you're believing for, it just doesn't match the faith that you've had up until this point, like the, the, your son or daughter is still not living for God and they're prodigal and they haven't come home and you've been praying, mom, and praying and praying and the outcome is not matching the prayers you've been praying. What do you do then? What do we do in those moments when the diagnosis, it gets worse, when we still don't get the promotion, we still get overlooked and we've been praying and believing and we're like, God, do you hear my prayers? What do you do when the outcome doesn't match the prayers you've been praying? I got the answer to this with a buddy of mine. We were sitting in a car in Dallas in Target's parking lot. And I was sharing with him the scripture, trying to encourage him and sharing with him. I'm, I'm writing this, this sermon. And, and uh, what do you think about it? And he was like, man, that's a good sermon. And he said, but could I add something to it? And I said, yeah, absolutely. So he gave me my, my last point that I'm going to give to you today. But before I tell you the point, I want to tell you his story is that he's one of my best friends. And um, his, his wife, my wife's best friend, his kids, my kid's best friend, kid's pastor, also works at a nonprofit all around the world, helping 40,000 children in poverty. Amazing man. He was diagnosed with uh, stage four cancer, renal cell cancer, spread to his liver, his lungs, all over his body. And so we're sitting in the car with that, with that, um, that diagnosis. And he said, Jason, the doctors have told me my outcome is this that the outcome that I'm facing is that I will die and I won't get to walk my children down the aisle at their wedding. He was like, that's the outcome that I'm facing. And he said, but what I've discovered is faith has never been about an outcome. It's actually about an outlook. And he said, the outcome is on God, but the outlook is on me. The outcome, if I get healed, that's on God. That's, I, cannot, I cannot manipulate a situation and make some outcome happen. I can pray for it. I can believe for it. Outlook is on me. That's within my authority. Outcome is on God. That is within his authority. Six months or so later, Steve went to be with Jesus. And the message at his funeral was this. Faith is not about an outcome. It's about an outlook. And he lived the rest of his life with an outlook of faith. And he has left a legacy of faith. There were, there were thousands of people at his funeral getting the same message that we have to, this was his message to them. We continue to believe. We continue to trust. Because when you close your eyes on this earth and you stand before God, you know what really matters is, did you really believe him? Did you really trust him? Did you follow him in faith? You see, because this story, listen, this story here, it's not really about Jonathan. We're not to read this story and to think, look at Jonathan, he's the hero in the story, and I need to go and be like Jonathan. That's not, that's not the case here. You know why the armor bearer has no name? Because that's your name. And Jonathan is a picture of a true and greater prince that would one day come named Jesus. And Jesus would climb another hill called Golgotha, a very hard hill to climb. He would climb that hill 
armed not with a sword, but with a cross, and he would secure the victory for the people of God, not by taking man's life, but by laying down his life in man's place. And on that day, the Bible says, when he faced death, hell, and the grave, and he won our victory, the victory for the people of God by giving his life on the cross of Jesus. He faced fear. He faced death. He faced the grave. And because he faced all that, we can be the armor bearers that can say, Jesus, wherever you lead me, I will follow you, heart and soul. So the question today is this, is will you follow him? I'm not asking you to pray a prayer. I'm not asking you to to fill out a card. I'm not asking you to make a decision. I'm asking you, will you be a true disciple? And say, Jesus, because of the covenant relationship I have with you, I will follow you wherever you lead me. If it's sacrifice, I'll do it. If it's selling my company, I'll do it. If it's starting to give at this church, I'll do it. God, if it's starting a small group, if it's going into ministry, if it's stepping away from full-time ministry to go into business, God, whatever you say, my answer is yes. And I'm going to believe that perhaps, perhaps the Lord's going to use it in my life. Amen.